Hello and welcome to another episode of Cracking Addiction with Philippe and Naren. In this episode of Cracking Addiction, we're again joined by Dr. Jim Connell, who's going to further expound on medicinal cannabis and provide a bit more detail from the previous episode that we've just um, had. So Jim, with regards to, to medicinal cannabis, could you talk to us about the side effects of cannabis and in particular, any psychiatric side effects that we should be concerned about? Because that's something that as clinicians, we hear a lot about cannabis and psychiatric side effects in particular. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you once again for having me on on board. Um, the side effect profile of cannabis varies depending on what product you're using and what cannabinoids you're, you're using. The, I guess the, the, the cannabinoid that probably has the most evidence and one that's widely used but also has the most risk of causing side effects is, is THC. So that's probably where we should focus in regards to the, to the side effect profile. So just generally before we get into the psychiatric side effects, most side effects related to, to THC are dose dependent. So when we start someone on, on medical cannabis, we start them at a sub-therapeutic dose and slowly increase them in a mindful and intentional manner until the point where they either get benefits from the medicine that are, that are adequate or they start running into side effects. So when done in that way, side effects are unlikely to occur, but common side effects might be dry mouth, dizziness, Increase in increase in appetite, uh, reduction in some of those in in some cognitive sort of areas, um, higher executive function, ability to sort of um, maintain that sort of work working memory, can can be affected. In regards to the psychiatric side of of THC, so THC is a is an agonist of the CB1 receptor within the body, which is the the main cannabinoid receptor in the central nervous system and the brain, the endocannabinoid system has this role of keeping things in balance. So it it needs to be able to work both ways. So the right dose of THC can be calming and relaxing. The wrong dose can actually be uh, anxiogenic and increase someone's anxiety. At extremely high doses, in rare cases, this can lead to you know paranoia, hallucinations, and and mildly sort of psychotic symptoms. But this is rare, and to be honest, I haven't seen anyone in my clinic uh, express those those types of side effects. The only way that that would happen was if they miss miss took took the wrong dose of of their medicine. Then when looking at CBD as the other sort of major cannabinoid that's prescribed widely, look, it's generally very well tolerated. It doesn't cause any sort of psychiatric uh, side effects. Um, some people can get a little bit of hyperarousal, a little bit of fatigue, so they can feel like they need to keep moving. So with ADHD patients, that can sometimes be a bit overstimulating, but that's rare. Um, main side effects, like most medications, are some gastrointestinal sort of disturbance, but these are generally mild and, and short-lived as well. Are there any other harms that you're worried about with medicinal cannabis? Are there any major harms that you kind of consider or, or warn patients about in particular when you're doing your medication counselling? Look, the, probably the, the biggest biggest harms are related to co- coordination, you know, uh, with intoxication from, from THC. So this can lead to, you know, balance, balance disturbance and impairment. So if someone already has uh, a, a lot of balance-related balance, balance related issues, then we need to be considering this. If they're a high falls risk, then they, you know, need to be cautioned about taking things very slow and taking their time getting up from sitting to standing because there can be some hypotension caused by THC as well. So on that, there are, are changes to the cardiovascular system. There can be a, a transient 
increase in heart rate and drop in blood pressure, which puts an extra extra stress and strain on on the heart. So if someone has a you know severely compromised cardiac function, coronary artery disease, you know where they have unstable angina, then we're going to be extremely cautious using anything that's t- THC predominant in in these sort of patients. And then I guess from from your perspective as well is that sort of addictive potential of of cannabis. And THC is the the I guess if there was an addictive sort of compound within cannabis, it is it is THC because of the way that it directly stimulates the endocannabinoid system, which is also involved in reward and pleasure seeking sort of behaviors. But looking at medical cannabis looking at the Sativex trials, which are the Nabiximol trials, which have an accumulated patient data of about 30,000 patient years, there was no evidence of abuse or addiction across that all of those sort of trials. If you look at the, the recreational sort of data coming from the states, the, the numbers are quoted at about 7 to 9% of people who use cannabis throughout their life will form a dependence, not necessarily an addiction, but a dependence on cannabis. But this changes greatly depending on the age of, of use. So the the dependence issues are much more likely in adolescents or those under the age of 25. And once you go past the age of 50, the, the risk of dependence or addiction is pretty much negligible. And a lot of this comes down to the, the delivery method as well. So inhaled cannabis that has that rapid at onset is going to have a much higher addictive potential than something that is like a slow release medicine and oral, oral medication or a sublingual sort of medication. Mm-hmm. And in terms of medicinal cannabis, I think in the earlier episode, you talked about some of the contraindications or precautions. Is a history of substance use or, or drug abuse uh, an absolute contraindication to, to be prescribed medicinal cannabis? It is a contraindication, not necessarily an absolute contraindication, but if you are prescribing for someone who has had previous substance abuse, then you will need to apply to the specific state as well and, and the TGA through a specific sort of pathway. Um, saying this, uh, patients who have been self-medicating with cannabis, not always appropriately, but w- with validity, can sometimes be labelled as having a, a substance use disorder and and they may have had dependence, may not have necessarily been addiction. Um, but really, uh, with those patients, they can actually be satisfying to reorientate their relationship with cannabis and actually get them using it as a medicine and they can get often get profound results because people often start using cannabis they get relief from it they have this belief that the more you use the more effective it's going to be and that's just not the case with with cannabis so helping them use it in a mindful and intentional manner can can be quite rewarding mm-hmm. absolutely what are the current um, regulations with regards to driving and medicinal cannabis in Australia? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, the driving law is another question that I hate answering in clinic and one that always, always gets asked because currently as it stands, using any medication containing THC, even if it's a CBD predominant medication with microscopic amounts of THC, is seen as a reason to, to not, not drive in, a, in Australia. So it's not looking at impairment, it's not looking at intoxication, it's just looking at presence of THC. So with this as well, patients, if they're using medical cannabis or cannabis of any variety, you know, after a certain time window, there, there's gonna be no residual effects or, or any sort of um, ongoing intoxication or, or, or significant um, 
debilitating uh, symptoms, but we don't really know what what that window is in regards to testing um, in regards to THC as well. So, you know, normally 12 hours after using a medical cannabis product, even if it's an oral medication, people would be fine to drive from an ethical, moral and physical capacity, but from a legal capacity, that's an absolute no. Um, CBD, on the other hand, is completely fine to, to drive on. So there are a number of countries and jurisdictions where medicinal cannabis has a longer history than in Australia. What has been the experience there and have there been any significant population level harms of having widespread access to medicinal cannabis in these jurisdictions and countries? So, so look, there are other countries that have had legal access to medicinal cannabis for, for longer, but they've been implemented in a very different way than the Australian sort of model is. So if we look at North, North America, um, which is, I guess, the, the main area of focus here, uh, previously, even though they've had medical cannabis for, for a prolonged period of time, a doctor's involvement has just been to write a, a certificate to say someone is has a valid reason to access medical cannabis. But then those those patients have gone to a dispensary and have been have been given advice by bud bud tenders who are you know knowledgeable retail assistants but have no understanding of of of, of health and disease. And so often the things that have been recommended may not be the most appropriate for um, the, the patient. So with that, you know, high concentration THC products, you know, via the inhaled route concentrates and these types of things ha have become quite widespread in a lot of those areas. And they're much likely to cause, you know, they're much likely to cause addiction or, or dependence. They're much more likely to disrupt the body's own endocannabinoid system, which, as we mentioned earlier, is heavily involved in regulating all of our internal processes. And so through through that, people can have, you know, increase anxiety and, and, and depression and, and, and it, they may, if they are using it problematically, they might not be going back to see their doctor regularly to actually check in and, and make sure that they're using it in a way that's improving their function. But in regards to, I guess, other potential addictive substances, the, the harm that has occurred has been been minimal and there have been a lot of positives as, as well. So, you know, we've been in some states, we've seen reductions in, in opioid overdose um, when medical cannabis has become available or, or become legalized we've seen you know of a divergence away from those criminal sort of underground sort of networks and and unscrupulous um unscrupulous sort of supplies of medicine that might be sort of contaminated with a whole bunch of other sort of toxins so there there have been a lot of benefits as well but i think we are doing it in the right way here in australia um, by upskilling and educating doctors to be the ones that are choosing and or helping the patient choose the right product and then having ongoing monitoring to make sure that we're getting improvement and there's no no harm and we can modify the the regimen depending on on how people are going mm -hmm. so currently especially in australia medicinal cannabis is in its infancy what is your prediction for the future role of medicinal cannabis i i very much hope that medical cannabis, well, I believe medical cannabis is here to stay, but I believe it's going to sort of change quite, hopefully, dramatically from a medical point as we sort of gain a greater understanding of the other cannabinoids within the cannabis plant as as well. The THC is the only real intoxicating cannabinoid within the cannabis plant. There are all of these other minor cannabinoids that have quite strong therapeutic potential as, as well that could be used without that sort of same risk of of harm that is associated with with THC, and so I believe our formula will continue to expand. I, I hope, and through that, 
hopefully we see greater um, evidence base to show, prove those real world results that people who are working with cannabis regularly are seeing on a daily basis. Um, so I see it hopefully, you know, expanding dramatically and becoming part of every doctor's toolkit because it is a, an extremely versatile therapeutic tool for a lot of different conditions. Yep. And I guess this is, this is my second to last question uh, before I hand the last question over to you. But as you know, we are an addiction medicine podcast. Yes. And I guess, with, is there a role or have you seen a role for, for medicinal cannabis in, 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 in the addiction sphere? So thinking from first principles as, as an mm-hmm. addiction medicine doctor, if I have a patient who's using cannabis um, quite significantly and say they have significant airways disease and they're mixing cannabis with tobacco, I can mm-hmm. certainly see a harm reduction or harm minimization approach from using a, a medicinal product to take away the tobacco component of, of yeah. something the patient's using themselves to decrease the significant tobacco-related harms of, of mm-hmm. smoking cannabis. So I can see something from a harm reduction point of view there um, just off first principles. But more broadly speaking, do you have any uh, feel for the role of medicinal cannabis in, in the addiction sphere? Yeah, look, I, I do. I think it can be used quite across a range of different domains within the addiction sphere. So, you know, if we have people with problematic use of cannabis, yes, the harm minimization, providing them with higher quality standardized sort of medicine, but also getting them away from inhaled, you know, inhaled preparations, potentially loading them up on on higher dose oral formulations that have a much slower release like you, you know, would do with the same theory around sort of methadone versus, versus heroin. I'm not trying to put them in the same category, but that same sort of principle. And, and then in regards to other, other addictions, then yes, I do believe it can be quite beneficial for one, helping in the withdrawal stage of many, many different sort of uh, addictive substances that will lead to gastrointestinal sort of disturbance, agitation, anxiety, sleep-related issues, all of which cannabis can be quite good at helping sort of manage. But also, you know, looking at why someone is is has an addiction, you know, getting back to that pain and trauma that they've likely experienced and trying to treat the underlying cause, then yes, I think cannabis can be beneficial, not just in acute withdrawal, but actually helping them manage these underlying underlying conditions um, alongside their conventional therapies and other complementary therapies as well. And finally, are there any other messages you would like to share with, with our listeners and audience today? The main thing that I'd like to sort of share really is is the intricacies and importance of the body's own endocannabinoid system and how it relates to all of our other physiological systems with, within the body and thinking that through upregulating and supporting the body's own endocannabinoid system, we can actually improve a lot of different chronic disease states. And this doesn't necessarily need to be with with cannabis, even though cannabis is a tool that can be used to modulate the endocannabinoid system, but looking at other healthy lifestyle practices that that do and have been proven to support and tonify the endocannabinoid system. So enjoyable exercise, the right type of nutrition, eating a wide range of you know fruits and vegetables, spices, putting, putting uh, the omega-3s, finding joy, finding joy in life. And a lot of the complementary sort of medicines, acupuncture, massage, osteopathy, these types of things also have been shown to upregulate and improve the endocannabinoid system. So even if you're not going to prescribe cannabis, do a little bit of learning about the endocannabinoid system. It is, is fascinating. And from there, I guess people can sort of see the logical leap, how its modulation can be a beneficial therapy. And if they want to know more, reach out. I'm happy to help. Great. 
And I guess that's a great place to, to end this episode. I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Jim Connell, the Chief Medical Officer and Co-Founder at Heyday Medical for sharing his, his vast knowledge on medicinal cannabis with us. And that brings us to the end of our two-part series on medicinal cannabis. So to our listeners and viewers, thank you for your attention. Please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast and bye for now.